Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> You're tuned into Update. Bringing you another cool technology show. I'm going to be updating you on all things tech. Pretty exciting, eh? What a what a time to be alive, I guess. So, yep, you tuned into Anthony Update. Update.chat is the website. Please, uh, you're welcome to go there, subscribe, send me a message, and anything you want me to talk about. Today's show is going to be about how science has just at its beginning. All right, thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so you're tuned into Anthony Update. Welcome to Find Me Online, um, Anthony Blomfield on LinkedIn, or you can go into the um, update.chat, and uh, yeah, you'll find me there. So, okay, guys, so today's show is actually going to be on how, against what we, some sort of belief we have, science and technology is still in its infancy. It's just, just the beginning of the... Uh, technology age um, almost like not even at the starting line that's how far we've got to go but um, alright let me start with a little bit of uh, the old tech news and then we'll get into it Ladies and gentlemen, so we had uh, start with my favourite topics is uh, SpaceX successfully um, delivered four astronauts to the International Space Station. So good on SpaceX! Wow, basically seamless, perfect delivery. Um, effectively, NASA booked tickets on the Elon Musk SpaceX Falcon rocket. And just almost as if you would buy a seat on an airline ticket, NASA said, oh, we'll take four seats, thank you very much, on first class, no refreshments, to be delivered to the International Space Station. And uh, that's exactly what they did. Uh, There was a Japanese uh, astronaut scientist on board as well. And because apparently Japan's making some um, big uh, scientific investment and discoveries with their... um, International uh, Space Station, um, um, yeah, part, and they're involved with it quite a bit. So that went well. Um, New Zealand, we had a brilliant launch of Rocket Lab, (coughs) sending its incredible Electron rocket to outer space. And uh, let's start with the, yep, uh, the the first good news is they, um, the Booster, or the first part of the rocket, was delivered back, deployed a parachute, and landed back in the Pacific Ocean and was picked up um, by um, Peter Beck and his team in the big boat. And so, again, Rocket Lab has successfully launched their rocket, put the satellites in space, and the first stage has been landed by parachute back into Earth pretty spectacular um, and we wait to find out what the um, quality of that landing was effectively and we don't know if it came back effectively just how Peter Beck wanted it, he's a little bit um, closed doors about that recovery process and so hopefully he'll tweet an update on that but the interesting news which I thought was quite interesting as an aside on that is um, two things on that the Valve uh, founder, uh, I forgot his name, was uh, giving a dollar to Starship Hospital, which I think is quite unkeeping, Starship Children's Hospital, for um, every view of the spaceship launch channel yesterday. So if you are watching the channel live on Rocket Lab, um, the Valve founder was donating a dollar to um, oh, his name, yeah, Gabe, Gabe Newell. He's in New Zealand at the moment, a lovely guy, um, founder of Valve, and he um, was 
donating a dollar to Starship Hospital. Every every single connection to the um, the launch of that rocket yesterday. And um, at the time I was watching it, there was about pretty much about thirty thousand <coughs> viewers. I don't know if that's accurate. And uh, the cool thing is, why was he doing that? Because um, they has kind of as one of a the satellites, if you will, not technically, but one of the uh, occupants of the rocket was the genome, the gnome from inside one of Valve's famous games that Weta Workshops had 3D printed at a titanium. And Peter Beckwell actually wanted to test the types of structure and, and coming back into orbit. So, <coughs> real collaboration. Weta Workshops made it. Um, uh, Valve, who, uh, Gabe Neal, who um, runs Valve Games, um, it was his character from his game. He was donating a dollar to the Children's Starship Hospital, and it was Rocket Lab that put it into space. So, yeah, quite a lot going on, just Rocket Lab, in fact. Wow, imagine if Fonterra had directors as good as Rocket Lab. We'd probably be selling ice creams to around the world. But no, he uh, Peter Beck has absolutely nailed it. And um, not only did he do all this, okay, so not only had he sort of worked with uh, giving, you know, streams of charity money to Starship Hospital, simultaneously developing a parachute landing system and recovery of the rocket, putting customers' um, satellites into orbit, you know, just one... Um, I think you'd be called he'd be called a millennial. This guy actually, so he's of the in his thirties. So you know, you give the thirty-year-old a chance, and they change the universe. Doesn't that be a same? What we did to Jacinda in a way, and gave a thirty-year-old, thirties-year-old a chance. Well, maybe we should be thinking of that more as a country. Get some thirty-year-olds on these directorships. And um, anyway, so Peter Beck not only did all that. Not only got the parachute landing successfully and delivered all these customers' um, satellites, he we also delivered New Zealand's first satellite made by a student, well, not one student, students of the University of Auckland to measure the ionosphere on the rim of our stratosphere, the border between space and the atmosphere itself. We now, New Zealand has an actual satellite spinning around the world about 30,000 kilometres an hour or faster. Um, I don't know the exact speed, but that's around about speed. 30,000 kilometres an hour. Auckland University, isn't it amazing? The students have made, and thanks to Rocket Lab and Peter Beck's um, millennial doing the work of, you know, all these 30-year-olds again, just changing the world. Only, well, it was only a few years ago. Rocket Lab didn't exist. And then... Um, it's spinning around the world and it's measuring ionosphere, ionization, and specifically looking at potential for the effect of earthquake and ionospheric changes. So real data, real science that Auckland universities might be able to provide. Who knows what it might uncover. Hopefully there might be better detection systems of earthquakes or aftershocks. But um, that's what innovation is, Guy. That's why, if anyone knows me, how pretty much I'm not a really nice guy anymore because I just see all these people buying houses and building bricks and then I think um, that's what you're building with your innovation and then there's Rocket Lab putting a satellite into outer space to create data so that we can foresee earthquakes. And for me, there's... I just don't understand how people don't get excited about investing in real human devilment, but that's just me. Right. Okay, so that's Rocket Lab. Um, on the tech world, um, we've got Apple. Wow, gosh, look, it, it's it's becoming so political, I don't want to venture into it, but effectively uh, the, the American government really coming down hard on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and... Quite frankly, it's getting a little bit ugly out there. So let me let me give you an update on that next week. Um, all I can say is um, my belief is we are really blessed to have technology in our world. Uh, we enjoy it. We enjoy these products. 
and we should remember that, you know. Um, you don't know what you've got until it's gone sort of thing. So I think personally YouTube has made the world a lot richer place and people fix their own cars now. They can look it up. Um, people do their own, you know, repairs. They can look it up on YouTube. Learning how to cook even is on YouTube. So I hope that it doesn't become more and more difficult to um, have access to these incredible media platforms. Anyway, into my topic of the day, guys. Science is in its infancy. Right, okay. So, let's do this. So, science is in its infancy. So, please again, tweet your friends if you don't mind. Put a Facebook tweet out or a, a LinkedIn or a, a message. Tune in to a, a very New Zealand-centric tech show, Update. Update.chat is my website if you want to send me a message. Please tell your friends. This is a lot more interesting in my mind than um, <clears throat> even even your tech news has to be very sort of watered down and safe. And it really is just a... All they really do is take a copy of what Apple's released and then just tell you all the features. So um, not getting the kind of deep, deep tech you'd get on this show. So tune in, tell your friends. Looking forward to it. Planetaudio.org.nz forward slash update if you want to hear previous podcasts. Right. So, guys, this is... Let me carry on from last week. I'm trying to kind of hit you over the heads a bit with tech. Because uh, there's no point sort of telling you again all the basics and getting into tech stuff if you haven't got even a mote of interest in it. So for the last week I tried to inspire you with Elon Elon Musk, Alan Turing's life story. And this week is going to be talking about science and quite frankly how we don't know what it is. And um, we really are, it's, it's like we've found one grain of sand um, in the universe, and that's what we think of as the knowledge of man and science, okay? That's how far away we are from the, our real knowledge of science. So we think we're sort of, you know, enlightened in the world. We sort of think we know well, Isaac's Newton, Isaac Newton's theory of gravity and all this stuff. Trust me, I truly believe that we are... Think of a grain of dust or a grain of sand in the universe and we've found one of those and that's all the textbooks and the libraries of science so i hope that blows your mind a bit but i really believe that's true and let me see if i can kind of help you understand we are almost just just sneaking out in my mind of the evolution of man from the caveman you know if we look let's say in um, 30 million years um and and what we'll be like or millions of years, we'll look back and we'll say, oh, that's right, in 2000 um, AD, they will, um, you know, they'll almost say, oh, yeah, they were just coming of the caveman period. You know, they'd learned to eat, but they'd made crude devices to make their lives easier. That's how far I think we are. We're just sneaking out of the caveman era, in my mind. And so that hopefully will inspire you to realise there's a lot more science to be done, a lot more. And therefore... Um, do not think Isaac Newton solved all the problems or, or Einstein has or um, Elon Musk has got the best machines or Facebook has the best software or Apple's made the best CPUs. We just use these things as inspirations because there's a long way to go in, computer, in science. Right. <clears throat> so, okay, so that's that's interesting. So we're basically, yeah, so my premise today is effectively we are just in the infancy of science and technology and the, the sort of culture of what we mean by that, you know, the idea of, you know, um, machines and engineering and data to uh, be able to map our world better. And um, so the reason um, I wanted to do this today because I've been watching some um, cool YouTube um, science channels um, some might know called Versantilli, Vers- which is a great guy from Canada who does a science learning channel. And he, he started talking about gravitational waves and stuff. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, and the theory of relativity to do with magnetism and stuff. Now, here's the thing. So, the first of all, 
a lot of the stuff kind of sounds all weird when you start listening to it. And the truth is, is it's because it is weird. I think the first thing, and here we go straight up, scientists don't know, okay? So scientists don't know. And I think if we start with that premise about being more honest about that, we'll be more inclusive. Scientists have no blooming idea. They really don't. Um, so I wish we'd stop pretending they do know. Um, and I wish we'd stop pretending that there's this thing called, you know, um, you know, the, the idea that it's an objectionable, um, unfallible fact when a scientist comes up with a, with a theory that that is it and we can move on. Um, and I think that isn't necessary. So this is a sort of a more nuanced conversation between, um, not simply jumping on the bandwagon of silly things like saying, oh, um, 5G causes cancer, you know, the the telecom masks and saying silly things like that um, because scientists don't know. That's sort of one extreme kind of idiot part of society which just kind of goes, oh, science doesn't know there before we just simply make up whatever we want. But but in the, if we can, as a more informed population, sort of realise that Scientists don't know categorically. And what that means is this is more exciting. This is actually better for us as as a society, as a culture, when we realise scientists don't know. And it's more something where people can cooperate. People can, can join the conversation. Um, because what I've noticed, and I'm, I'll be blow these guys out of the water, and I guess you can only hear that on this show, which is these university academics get a lot of money from the government, and so they're going to they do they hide and shroud their secretive world as oh we know, and you guys there's just a war. There's a war called you just don't know, and it's and the more you kind of start to learn and realise, you go hang on a minute, hang on a minute, you're just getting more data for the for the same theory that someone else theorized in the sort of 50s and your university lecturer all they're doing is just getting more and more data observable data um and this this isn't really this kind of thing which is oh we know and you don't know and so let's let's start by having a much better conversation that the first premise is scientists don't know okay they don't now, this is, like, again, a better story. This is so much more interesting when you realise scientists don't know because we kind of feel dumb, even me, and, and maybe I'm not that smart, but I even me get someone sort of scientists go, oh, you, look, yeah, it's just to do with redshift of the expanding universe, blah, 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 blah. And, you, you, you know, if you don't know the background, you just feel like, oh, uh, I'm just going to, you know, go go to my hobby. Let me just go to my safe place. Let me just have a pint of beer because I will never be be able to understand um, I don't know the speed of light in, in, in relative to you know different inertial time frames the problem is is that these universal lecturers I kid you not they sell it because it's a bit of a superiority complex they're like Oh yes, yes. The the, the t- speed of light is is subject to the inertial time frame. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, you'd have to spend forty thousand one of my degrees before we could let you into the how it works, and we'll bamboozle you and make you confused as long as you give us money and we get more money from the government. But it's not like that, okay? Um, the simple truth is, it's it's more to do, okay. And this is really exciting. It's more to do with a open and curative curiosity it's more to be it's more a matter of being curious about things you know um the great um one of the lines from versatility and he is um, a scientist he worked for nasa so this guy who does this channel was scientists um real scientists want the data to conflict with the theory Fake scientists want it to confirm the theory. And it's really cool. So in other words, it's like, okay, so we believe that gravitational waves exist and sort of the fake scientist who's given the money from the government spends a billion dollars on making a big laser across the Nevada desert and there's a detection and they go, yep, proof our theory, um, give us some more funding and, and um, I'll get my Nobel Peace Prize. But um, Versatilli, this guy, was saying, well, a real scientist 
almost wants the data to not fit always the theory. And that's really cool. And that was because this is more an inquisitive. It's more an idea of being inquisitive and inclusive. And this is where I think the scientists are not being cool. <laughs> and I mean, to be quite frank, I'm not hating on them. I'm really not because by nature, a lot of them are introverts and I wouldn't want them to be, you know, always, you know, trying to bring friends into the little the lab and, and show them what they're working on. But I think certainly in the media, if we can start to be being the voice for um, bringing people along the journey, which is um, the this is a inquisitorial idea of pondering things that possibly we take for granted and we almost debate theories okay we we look and we think about things but it's um but it's sometimes done in a, in a, in a nature of sort of respect that you know um you know we're not talking debating like oh i just don't think gravity exists so well it's more that smart debate, which is, well, this this is the theory that fits the model so far, and what is the logical explanation of that? And then you say, well, there's another logical explanation that also fits the same data. All right, well, let's find the data that determines which of these models is more correct. And I think that's a more exciting way of looking at science, that it's not static. It's not just, oh, yep, yep, yep. That's how it is. And it is a little funny because, you know, a lot of people hate people that say the uh, Earth is flat. <laughs> Here you go. You're, you're wondering if uh, Planet FM is going to tell you the, the world is flat. So, um, well, you know, and, well, no, I guess to start off, just in case um, someone puts my name in the paper. It's, um, but the people that simply go, oh, my God, you're so stupid you say the world's flat. I read the same mindset as the people said, oh, my God, you're so stupid that you think the world's round. And this is the kind of conundrum that you can fall into, which is, yeah, we know the speed of light. We know that gravitational, you know, we... we so all I'm saying is that if you start to realise this is a more to do with um, being curious, um imaginative so even einstein said with um imagination is more powerful or what did he say creativity is more powerful than knowledge or something like this and therefore um and einstein was very imaginative right a lot of his actual theories that have been proved decades 50 years later were literally concepts of creative imagination by Einstein, you know, he's thought, oh, well, what would happen if you were in an elevator and you shone a torch across the elevator, blah, 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 blah. So being creative is also a part of science, okay? You know, and again, this is this is not trying to, I'm not kind of saying, you know, this, my way or the highway. I'm just trying to say that this kind of closed off science world of We've got the knowledge and there's not a lot more you can do unless you spend another billion dollars making electrons spin around the world and crash into each other. No, 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 no. I mean, it's this is why, I, honestly, I I honestly feel like I'm I'm from the, the million years future and I've got stuck in a time warp to come back to what I feel like the dark ages, quite frankly, in this planet, especially New Zealand. Because, you know... There's so much more innovation and discovery than just where the universities take things. For example, traditional computers, there's millions almost of years of innovation just in traditional computing. And yet, you know, universities are spending a lot of money in um, quantum computers. Uh, and, And that's all cool, but it's like, it's almost like just, just sometimes for the sake of the next hardest thing to do, um, and 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 realizing, look, there's so much innovation almost in every single layer of science. You don't have to always be at the atomic scale to be bringing new technologies. And I think that's we can have this wiser, smarter, happier conversation about science. Um, I mean, I mean, this is something came to my head now. Sorry, which is there's a great New Zealander who's been making um, world renowned for making composting bins. You know, he went to England and designed a better compost bin. Now, 
It was science. <clears throat> he worked with Mother Nature to create a better composting system. And, and, and it was completely science. Now, he did not need to create a particle accelerator or put negative 200 degrees bacteria on a space station and ask for the rest of the world to pay for him. Um, there's science in every area. And it's more to do with, um, and I think this is the problem, science has become almost divorced from sort of general quality of life. You know, science can be just smart observable um, objectional measurable um, uh, consequences and you know th- this is the, the beauty of um, even in the in the green in the green industry at the moment there's a lot of just common sense science to make life better again you don't have to get into um, you know where the, the money's going you know quantum physics or you know um, what was the later one yeah banging banging quarks into quarks okay but anyway so so like again so science there's so much to do and um and they again the the original premise is, is that scientists kind of don't know okay they don't know um and that's not a bad thing that's not and that's and i think we're mature enough finally as a society to kind of understand this this idea of knowing and not knowing but that doesn't mean not knowing something doesn't mean that what they do know should be thrown away. Like, we all know that um, tyres on a car with more tread are better in an accident, right? Now, so, okay, so that's great. We know that. And we know that because of, you know, the laws of Newton that, that, that he created, the physics. And we know that by experimental data, observable data. And we know that by mathematical models. We know that more tyre tread is better for slowing down a car. Now, that doesn't actually mean that when a car um, was going down a road and it had lots of tyre tread and um, there were two cars effectively and one car slowed down faster than the other, because of the world we live in, you can't always say we know categorically the reason the car slowed down a bit more than the other car was because it had more tread on the tyre. Okay? So science doesn't say absolutely this is definitive data. It just says, well, this is so far what we know or this is so far what the, what everything sort of works together in our logical way. And therefore, um, you know, you're wise to have more tread on your tyre, but that doesn't mean that there's not other things to consider even things we might not have even thought of yet. I mean, boom, there might even be some weird thing about cosmic rays creating less f- friction in a car accident. We don't know. Um, now, again, you know, it's scientists don't say, oh, we just simply know what every single thing about friction is. We sim- they simply say, well, this is the model so far. But if you've got a better model that fits the data, boom, become a scientist. Right, so that's sort of one. The idea is they don't categorically sort of know in this kind of, like Doctor Who used to say, as a fact. You know, it's very hard to have a fact. There are facts, but it's not as simple as you think. And therefore, when you realise that it's more of a conversation that, um, okay, so we kind of understand this, that, that um light travels in a vacuum faster than in water and we put that down to, you know, the permeability of space-time and stuff. Well, you've got to understand that's true to what it is. It's true to it's true to the variables, if you know what I mean. It's like, um, you know, true to the variables that you started with. We know that, you know, but if you... But it doesn't mean that you can't look at that again. There's, it's not like, oh, you know, no, no, you can never go against that theory, you know. And so therefore, um, but, but you can't be silly about it. You can't just simply say, well, um, I just don't think light, light goes faster in a vacuum than in water. Well, it, it, it does by measurable results. So you might say something like, well, um, well, let's look at the measurement system. You know, we're both, we're both measurement systems in the space-time, both in the same space-time continuum. Like, you can still use the logic of what's been done before but you can actually expand and look at um 
effectively lateral bits of logic. And that's exactly what Einstein did, by the way, to Isaac, um, the, the, the Isaac Newton's theory. And, you know, that is your kind of your two forces for explaining, you know, your nerd nerd stuff, which is, you know, forces of motion and Newton's laws, which um, are cool and um, under underrated in my mind. And then kind of like the Einstein's theories, which are things more to do with the relative, relative to inertial frames. And therefore, Einstein was able to prove things really weird, which is just for fun. If you um, shone a torch to the nearest star, you would watch the light basically trickle out from your torch and take something like 100,000 years to reach that star, okay? If you had a mirror there and that star and bounced back, you know, whoever saw the flash of the torch would be hundreds and thousands of years in the future. But if you were the torch (laughs) and you were going at the speed of that light and you sort of left Earth to the nearest star and you came back, it would only be a matter of weeks or months before you came back. And that's to do with this concept of, you know, uh, Einstein's theory of relativity, time dilation. Now, the thing is, is people kind of go, oh, that's too hard to handle. And the truth is, is it's, it's, it is, and it's not true. (laughs) And this is really cool. And this is really a beautiful thing. It's not true. Um, Einstein's theory of time dilation, it's measurable and accurate according to the theory that he postulates. So so it's sort of like saying um, there is this world, there is these things, and it's up to us to formulate how they interact and write theories for them. But you can't kind of go, oh, Einstein's theory is it. You can say Einstein's theory is what we understand so far about time and the speed of light. And therefore you get some really cool things. You can kind of go and 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 um so anyway, what I'm trying to say is that um this kind of idea that I really hate scientists do, which is kind of we know what we're doing, we we've solved it, you know, sort of been there, done that. It's almost like um it's almost like um you, someone climbs the biggest mountain in the world, <laughs> Sir Edmund Hillary, which is cool, and everyone else going, oh, yeah, well, we, we, we don't take tourists up there anymore. It's been there, done that. Yeah, no, 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 no. You, you, you have to pay a, a degree and go through the arduous intellectual world of, of slightly writing theses that slightly add to the to this. And um, when you're like, well, you know, I want to go up the mountain too and maybe I want to go up a different way to... Um, Sir Edmund Hillary. And, and that's what a few scientists do. They kind of go, oh, well, we've climbed to the top of this mountain and, um, you know, you're, you're quite kind of too dumb to join us. And yet really what they've done is they've found um, by empirical, fastidious effort of looking at data, effectively mostly mathematical theorems that fit together. I mean, most of the, the, the science in this area is just maths. So... So, so, so as long as effectively one and one still equals um, two, then um, anyone can join that. If as, as long as you fit by the, the the very principle of of maths, which is one and one equals two, and um, you know one minus one is zero, you can you can you can get straight into Einstein's theory if you want, and, and postulate other ways that um, time dilation may or may not exist. So, so anyway, that's um, that's what they do. And I, again, it's not that sort of like. This is a subtle conversation. It's not like saying, you know, when they've, they've discovered other planets, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, of course they know what they're talking about. But when they say we are the absolute truth and therefore um, and we hold it, we sort of guard it, um, that's sad. That's not cool, I think, for people, for, for, for the planet. And it stops young people being inquisitive and being investigative and enjoying expanding on things. Um, you know, Galileo went across the sort of against the scientific consensus. So don't. So it's a shame that um, when they're not more poetical in a funny kind of way, scientists, the scientist community can be a bit more poetical about this. Which is, you know, there is some um, paradoxes to do with um, f- f- forces, and this is so far our understanding. Uh, opposed to 
There's no paradox. It's just you're too dumb to understand time dilation. Well, maybe you're too dumb to understand Newton's theory in a multidimensional universe, for example. Maybe that explains it. So, so, so you know, this this is this is where we where we get to now. What this means is um, going back to why we just at the beginning, and and the reason is is because it, it's like um, when you sort of realise. I mean, there's there's different levels of science, right? But and my my take on it, okay. And I, I think I go against the academia, which is, for me, science is more to do with um, community. It's to do with making a community happier and making your community safer and more, you know, enjoying life together. And so it's things like, you know, understanding quality of food and, um, you know, living with nature or, you know, um, effects of pollution and stuff. And um, there's so much science there. And the problem is, is we, the, the the sort of, the mantra of science is that the only form of provable science is mathematics. So again, that's, <laughs> this might hurt some of your people's brains, but mathematics doesn't necessarily need to be the language of objectional, ob- objectional, objectional fact um it it is useful um but it's funny how it's become the go to for almost anything so let's say for example um someone feels sick every time they catch a bus and they they get off the bus and they always have um the same bottle of v when they catch the bus okay and about 1 hour after getting uh, when they get off the bus they get to work about an hour later they get a stomach ache well scientists would say well let's look at the mathematical data really of the chemicals inside the v and how it's interacting with your stomach acids and work out why you're getting sick and then they'll shut the door and they'll say that's the science um we've done it we've proven it and that's okay but again i think it's this idea which is well that's okay for the so the variables you put into that um, equation are as good as the output you got. So maybe you need to take into effect things like every time he got off the bus, he um, it, it um, he always was it always was past maybe in old school, and he always remember being bullied. So so it's like um, it was nothing to do with the V. Um, every time he got off the bus, he went to work and he always was remembering that school that he passed and how he felt bullied. Well, you know, maths can't, maths can't quantify that. So, so again, it, it, we, we, we think we're kind of, we kind of think we're superior in the, in the world because we, we know maths and we think we can kind of analyze and depict our scientific world. But in a way, we're not too far different to the people that said, no, the world's flat. We know it's flat because we can look at it. There, it's flat. Right. So so that's where I want you to kind of go, look, scientists don't have this big pool of the, 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 the gospel of, of knowledge or, or not knowledge of fact and truth. They have lots of data and the data generally fits creative people's theories. Okay? That's kind of... I mean, I don't want to put them down, um, especially not the actual scientists that do the measurement, but I don't mind putting universally lectures down that take all our tax money and haven't you know, given us anything yet to the world in New Zealand in, in many ways. But the actual... Um, the, the, then they say, oh, we, we simply have the facts. Well, um, what, they, what they really have is data that fits the models... Okay, generally, and um, that is a, a bit of an insult because there's a bit more to it than that. But um, but because this hasn't been said before, let, let me you know let me go with that insult. Um, scientists have data that fit that fit the fit the creative people original creative people's um, theories. So 
All right. So that means that you, anyone who's inquisitive, can postulate um, different um, ways that things happen. Um, I mean, I know... um, and, 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 and don't make it a chore, only if you're interested in my mind. Like, I know my, my friend's kids are really into dinosaurs, and he's a good father, and the kids are just naturally inquisitive about, you know, where all the dinosaurs were from and what do they do? And um, instead of just simply saying, well, this is the verbatim fact, kid, move along, there was a big uh, asteroid that hit Earth, there was a, um, the, the ashes went into the sky, there's a winter and they all died. Well, that's the we have some data that supports that theory that is not the same as saying that is a fact and i think that's the disingenuousness of um the scientists in a way you know case closed you know um your honor the case is closed uh, the meteorite hit the dinosaurs and that and there is no more um jimmy from school looking again at the at the science it's been it's been done and i think that's where we're not getting people excited because it's sort of like oh no you miss, you know, so you missed the boat in a way and then you know in a way the best scientists have to go and work in um you know switzerland shooting electrons around around a particle accelerator um to find out slight theories in, in gravitational ways it's like well oh man it's it's almost like Science become the most the most sort of driest part of the of the world. Like, you know, you know, like, like you think about what's really important to people, which is sort of food and nutrition, or mostly, or, or transport. You know, there's a lot of science still to be done in transport. Communication is even you know a science. Um, friendships are science. Um, all these things, and yet it seems that all the money is going into. Well, what happens to a laser in a vacuum? You know, and I mean, let's say we we, we find out that red light doesn't travel as fast in, in water as blue light. Great, you know, put it in a scientific journal, but but still, millions of people have to get on the same stinky bus every day. So so that's where I think you know the the science we, we've really got to almost grow up from this idea that we sort of we we, we sort of we're enlightened in a way in the scientific world. So, let me give you a few things where I think we, we've got a lot of innovation to go. Okay, a lot of places where you can, we can push. All right. So, um, again, I think we need to make the the scientific world more, um, not necessarily the, the, the head scientists. I don't want everyone knocking on their door going, what are you doing, what are you doing? But I think museums, for example, need to be a lot more accessible to the science in the museum. And most museums, you sort of go in there and there's, there's a dinosaur, for example, or there's a, you know, even in Motat, oh, yeah, that's cool. But sort of make it a lot more, um, you know, one of the big ones would be some things like, okay, here is an electron microscope in the museums and bring in some substance you want to look at under electron microscope. Um, you know, here is a um, some measuring equipment that's very accurate. Um, let's let's open this to almost the population. You know, come to Motat and really experiment with science, and not on this idea which is, oh, this is the theory, and um, you primitive person might just sort of understand the basics. More sort of like this is the this is where we are at with understanding propulsion this is this is the way we understand um i mean even there's some science around apparently um bumblebees and according to scientific avionics um aerodynamics rather bumblebees don't abide by the scientific aerodynamics world so you know, all this thought of, oh, yeah, we understand how, you know, planes, um, everything flies. We just understand how to make a wing. We just know about aerodynamics. Well, that's one, that's where that area of aerodynamics is. But then you take the study into um, certain small bugs, for example, like bumblebees and, and different things. You start going, oh, there's this thing, you know, there's these things called ion ionizing the wind and stuff like this 
um, and static forces and um, static pressure between molecules. Oh, we didn't understand that, you know, air molecules are slightly sticky. Um, and so then you can, um, and if you ho- open that conversation where people that join the um, scientific you know, you get get a sneak pe- pe- preview. I'm not feeling like oh, there's the knowers and then unknowers. So I think that's the biggest thing that w- we could do um, to um, sort of motivate creative minds and young people, and to even allow university lecturers to sort of go, oh, well, yeah, maybe I, I we always just assume that we'd 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 know we conquered that, and there was no more innovation to happen maybe maybe magnets do have um well you know <clears throat> you know do, do what it, whatever it is and and i think that'll be cool yeah so where where do i think some some basic areas that could could be developed a long way well i think um the first of all let, let, let me just push you a little bit on some some real fundamentals of, of computers just to show you how what you assume may not necessarily have to be. So let's start with um, what happens generally in the computer science world. And I mean this in not the hardcore computer science world. I mean about this in sort of generally your apples, I guess, and your, your um, more in your, I guess, your computer technology world okay what it normally is is it's about normally better and better mathematical algorithms okay that's generally quite frankly where the where the science happens okay it's better formulations of an algorithm and i love it i was cool you know i mean that's what ai is better general mathematical formulas excuse me and um this is, um, you know, incredible software that will come out this year and next year. And there'll be some software in a couple of years we, we don't know about, which blows us away that does some really cool things. And what it generally is, is it's using, um, you know, your mathematics to, um, I don't know, calculate 3D spaces or whatever. Now, that's great. So this is, in a way, mostly, and, I, and there's still so much innovation to happen here, but this is mostly in the software space, Okay. Right. So then, okay, so that's great. Now, let's be honest. Most people would even struggle to write software, (laughs) let alone push the bounds of what current software can do. So, so, um, let's say you've, you've, you've done your course. Great. You know how to write, um, a Java applet for, on, on your phone. A lot of skill lot of discipline it's pretty cool and that's a lot of innovation you know there's what i think at last count there was a billion apps um you know mobile apps so um maybe it's not a billion but it'd definitely be a billion in the sense of if you take all apps so let's say there's a billion software products guys a billion so little things that do different things, okay? That's a lot. And you think that's all in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And so you can imagine maybe there's another 20 billion apps still to be written. So, so you know, you think of, oh, we're, we've sort of done all the software you can do. Well, the fact that there's not just 400 apps in the world and that there's more closer to a billion, you know, multi, multiple million software products just general common sense logic guys would tell you okay so the, the software industry has been around you know really realistically about 20 20 30 years in our world and there's a millions and millions of software apps surely if we just keep going there'll probably be multiple billions of software apps and it makes sense right so even in software we even though we've got millions of apps, I say I personally believe in what there will be in 30 years' time many, many more millions and millions of software apps, okay? So so you can kind of go, oh, yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say, if you, if you want to add to the, to the echelon, you want to add to the scientific world, nothing's stopping you working out a better software app learning Java in your own time on, on, on Google's teaching platform. Um, yeah, don't waste your money. 
um, just go Google it's free and and learn these Java apps and then you potentially could write some amazing software so that that world is huge you know there's there's maybe hundreds of years of new software products okay now go another la- layer above that what about how software works with the hardware you know that itself is huge levels of innovation the way that um, what software can actually do there's so much more innovation and that's really you know that's you know the the big one we have is artificial intelligence right and that's this idea that a that a mathematical algorithm could be in flux it could modify itself depending on variables so that's that's not that's I'll be blunt that's a level up from writing a software app for your phone AI is another level up right and I can't do it, quite frankly. Um, not anymore. Brain's too fried. But writing a mobile app, fine. You know, because you're taking kind of products and putting them together. But AI, that's another level. That's pushing software. And even AI, there's sort of a new field of AI now, which is machine learning and neuro networks. So, so even those two fields are branching out into more innovation. So that's pushing software itself so now you think okay so the fundamentals of software the way that it works with hardware has been innovated on multiple branches software is being developed millions you know well millions you know millions of software apps are being written and then you think well hang on every one of these branches of the fundamentals of software has been developed with with hundreds of thousands of apps now you've got permutation, right? Because that app now has AI features, and that AI features now in machine learning. So, so, so you can see how you know if you. It's kind of like saying, well, there's a 500 cars, and they all have four wheels, so we've got 500 models of cars. But then you say, ah, oh, well, now we're going to have a car that's that that only has one wheel, and the rest is a hover thing. Okay, now you could have every one of those cars with the, with the hover ability. So you've got a permutation of times two. Well, that happens with software, in other words. So it's like if you change the fundamentals, then you've got, again, another huge fork of software innovation on that fork. You, you, I think you get me. Hopefully you can. Otherwise, please eat more fish and do exercise, people. All right. Um, the next thing is is even um, another level above that is hardware itself is being innovated. Okay, and this is mostly to do with uh, real-world um, perception devices. All right, so so what I'm saying is, just in the software world, we've got hundreds and hundreds of years and thousands of different products we made. So we're really at the beginning. But even on that, let me quickly tie up by saying, even all the software is built still on binary. Okay, and the Russians came out with a computer that used a trinary state. So binary is not gospel. It's not that's how it must be. It's just simply the way that we do at the moment. You don't have to have a computer work on binary. You can have a computer work on four, you know, one, two, three, four, rather than one and zero. So then you realize, oh, okay, so the actual whole software industry is based on binary. So imagine if you innovated a whole computer, you know, generation worked on trinary. Right. That's fine. Then you can say, all right, well, it still use, uses um, Boolean logic. Sure. So you don't necessarily have to have a computer use Boolean logic. Um, Boolean was just one mathematician that um, created a formula for logic. It's not the only one. So then you realize, oh, my gosh, so you know, even Boolean logic can be um, one subset of computer science. You, 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 it's nothing stopping you putting your mind to it and going, well, Boolean logic is a way of solving discrete logic gates. doesn't necessarily have to be the only one. Okay? So then you go, oh, okay. And then you've got things like, well, that's discrete logic um, or digital, but things can be um, in analog. So you don't necessarily even need a, a digital platform for making software. You can use analog. So what I'm trying to say is, Instead of people going, oh, yeah, computer's been made, oh, yeah, all that software's been done, oh, yeah, Isaac Newton solved that. No, we're at the beginning, okay? So that's, you know, so again, you know, if you really, 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 really don't want the 
the, the like the way the computers are evolving. Start getting together with your friends and see if you can create a new problem-solving, a mathematical solution for um, for maybe logic. And then even mathematics itself is getting to the limit of what it can do. Okay, I did start writing a new notation for for maths itself. Um, so let me just annoy you with hurting your brain just on that, which is well. Um, maths already can't work out the square root of negative 25. So, you know, everyone thinks, oh, maths can explain everything. Yeah, but as soon as you go, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, square root of 4, you know, 2, square, uh, you know, uh, 1 minus 4, negative 4, square root of negative 4, impossible. Maths can't do that. So they have to go into this idea of imaginary numbers, right? Complex numbers. And, and, and then, well, if it's a complex number, it's an imaginary number, does that actually fit the original concept of mathematics, and they 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 use abstract versions of mathematics. So mathematics doesn't necessarily have to be the building blocks of all things scientific, right? But um, yeah. So I'll leave you with all that. I hope that's given you some food for thought. That we're just beginning of computer science, and um, there's a lot more to go. You know. Um, lastly, um, yeah. So so. It's not necessarily, even the first thing you do is you appreciate what's there. You know, Boolean logic back in the 1800s, guys, which is what computers built on, um, brilliant. But it doesn't mean you can't be as smart as Boolean logic. Just eat more fish, stop playing Xbox, get up early, use more than 1% of your brain cells, and you could write the same Boolean logic kind of thing for the next 100 years of computer science. So, you know, God so lonely in this planet so that's boolean you know that's a boolean um again yeah that's maths i'll be to leave you to it um then that's given enough to shake some of what you um yeah but it's not to um annoy people it's just to make you realize that you can contribute to the scientific world um no one's excluded and it's a lot more to go all right so yeah hope that was a bit of fun if you want this it's um planetaudio.org.nz forward slash update be able to download it in five minutes forward it to your friends welcome to um send me hate mail i don't mind any any messages are good messages um update.chat um no doubt uh there's a few nerds out there that will take exception to one or two details of accuracy which is good let's debate it um update.chat anthony bonfield thanks for coming in guys hopefully you um i don't know just yeah have some fun